You are listening to episode 180 of Shades Midweek. This is a podcast where we talk about theology, culture, and all things Shades. We are recording this from Three Stream Studio in Homewood, Alabama. And today, as usual, I'm, I'm joined by our normal co-host, Brad Brown. That's Brad, right. I'm here. But there's nothing usual about today, John Mark. Very unusual. It's a very unusual day. Yeah, so Jonathan is is on vacation this week. He, mm-hmm. he's, his birthday is approaching, so uh, if you're listening to this now, make sure to give Jonathan a, a birthday text. I think That's his birthday's right. on Friday, I think, is when it 40. Is. Yeah, the big 4-0 for him. So wow. it's, it's a big week for him. Yeah. So he was like, you know what? I'm not going to do a podcast this week. So mm-hmm. he said, it's probably a good idea. Why don't you relax with your family, have some fun? That's right, because this podcast is so stressful for us. Yeah. Yeah, you know. time-consuming. We spend a lot of time on it, planning, yeah. executing it, editing right. it, Thinking posting through it. it. Yeah. So, but what we thought would be cool was uh, we're here in the month of October, mm-hmm. which we've mentioned before on the podcast. We have. And uh, a lot of people like to watch horror movies Ooh. from time to time in the month of October. Mm-hmm. And knowing that, we invited two not one but two special guests that's right we broke the bank on the show today uh first of all joining us in the studio live we have patrick smith patrick it's good to have you it's good to be back i love the audience yeah patrick has been here before he's talked about movies with us before he was uh he was on an episode earlier this year and uh, just just love his perspective, and he's he's a member here at Shades. He's been going to Shades now for several years, and mm-hmm. uh, so he's awesome. And then joining us via satellite, <laughs> the miracle of technology, Mr. Caleb Stallings. Is it Stallings? Stallings? You know, there is some debate in our family about that. Our part of the family says Stallings. Most people say Stallings. I just, I don't care at this point. <laughs> it's, just, it's just any will to fight about that has been beaten out of me a long time ago. So, uh, For those of you that don't know, Caleb is a former member uh, at Shades Valley Community Church. He has preached at Shades Valley, led a community group here, did so many other things. And now, Caleb, what are you doing now? Uh, I'm a pastor in the metro Atlanta area, specifically in Lilburn, Georgia. And uh, yeah, so Jonathan took me under his wing. And, uh, you know, Brad, you and I were both pastoral interns at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, a huge, huge risk for Jonathan uh, to take guys like us that didn't know anything and probably still don't uh, and just don't have Jonathan's energy or genius uh, behind us. But, uh, yeah, no, I enjoyed my time at shades. It was very good. It was a good learning experience. I don't think I spiritually damaged anybody irrevocably, uh, (laughs) as I, as I tried to grow into the pastoral role, but, uh, I had a good time. It was, uh, it was very valuable for me. Yeah. I've heard Jonathan talk about it as his biggest regret in his life, but (laughs) besides that, I think he feels good about the decision. Caleb, since your time at shades, uh, you've gotten married. Yes. Oh man. It's uh yeah, totally different life. It feels like, uh, from, cause when we were in at Beeson together, Brad, mm-hmm. uh, we were just young 20 somethings like, that's oh, right. Our life would be so easy if we had a wife. 
and uh, and yo, if we could just get this job that we wanted, we got our wives, we got our jobs. You have a child, and we found out that life is always hard. <laughs> yeah, we still complain uh, to one another, don't we? Yes, we do. So that is uh, that's probably uh, no. Uh, the foundation of our relationship is love and respect, but there's a lot of gossip and complaining in there too. <laughs> and y'all do that on a podcast, do you not? Oh, wait, you were talking about me and you. Sorry, totally yeah. misheard that. <laughs> so let me go back. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about your relationship is not be, um, only because your wife is an amazing woman, but also because y'all have a podcast. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah it is called Happily Scaried. Um, <laughs> one of the ways in which my relationship with my wife grew pretty quickly is that we both liked horror movies mm. uh, so I think it was on our second date uh, we decided to go see Halloween the one from 2018 and it was opening night it was a packed theater and it was just so much fun and I was like oh man I am in love with this girl and uh, <laughs> Yeah, we've seen, I think, on my letterbox, I've recorded every movie I've ever seen with her. Um, we just passed like 700, wow. I think. I know, within five years' time. So we watch a lot of movies together. And probably at least half of those, if not more, are horror movies. And so, yeah, we just love watching horror movies. And we decided, hey, let's start a podcast where this married couple that doesn't know anything, is not in the industry is just blowing smoke, talk passionately about horror movies. And uh, so we've been doing that for about two years. We've been really bad about releasing consistently. Mm. Uh, but in these past two months, we've just had a new fire lit under us. And, okay. Uh, yeah, we've been releasing them weekly. Uh, and so we got a, lot of, uh, got a lot of good episodes recently. So that's been a lot of fun. She has some podcast experience before this. Oh, that's she right. Had a musical podcast with a friend of hers. And they had like, oh, no big deal, like uh, like a director from a movie that was premiered on Netflix. They had a couple like big time comedians uh, out in uh, Hollywood that um, have a musical podcast. It's like one of the top comedy podcasts in the world. They had them as special guests. So wow. my wife is a pro when it comes to podcasting. And I'm just the I'm just her simpleton that just kind of follows her lead in those things. Yeah, is she there? Can we swap you guys out? Is it too <laughs> yeah. late for that? She is unfortunately not here. Okay. But, uh, yeah, she would probably be a much better guest than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, check out their podcast, Happily Scary. You can hear them talk about movies like Scream, Beetlejuice, The Nun. <laughs> Well, also, their most recent episode on Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Oh, Patrick, did you listen to it? I did listen to it. I do like the podcast. I'm a fan. Oh, man. Well, thank you so much, Patrick. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, I thought I you had guys no had idea stopped that making I had the show for a bit. <laughs> and then it came back. I saw that a bunch of new episodes were out, so I started listening again. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we're just lazy. That's really what it comes <laughs> down to. We both love talking. And, uh, and sharing our uneducated, uninformed opinions. But nobody likes to sit down and do the work of editing and putting clips together and stuff yep. like that. So <laughs> yeah. uh, so that's why more podcasts. So if we, if we had the money to pay a, uh, like somebody to edit our podcast, <laughs> we'd probably release an episode every other day. <laughs> but well, seeing as that is not financially responsible, uh, yeah. We'll just stick with a kind of wacky release schedule. I love it. 
For sure. And then, uh, Patrick, would you like to tell some folks about the movie club that you have? <laughs> That's right. Do you want to talk about that? Uh, yeah, I think I've mentioned this every time I've been on here. Uh, of course. But I've Let's been hosting a, a movie night uh, online since March of 2020. Uh, still going strong, still having new episodes uh, twice a week this month because it's October. So wow. as many horror films as we can possibly get through. Wow. Um, but yeah, for every Monday night since March of 2020, we've been covering movies. And in January of 2021, we covered Donnie Darko for the first time. That was my ah. first experience with it. Uh, and it quickly became one of my favorite little cult films that uh just it's it's so fun i love the world and i love the music just such a, a fun little fun little trip mm. awesome well uh before we get into the specifics of the movie for those who are listening to midweek for maybe the first time or if you're a regular listener we normally have these segments we do an album we do a book we're gonna skip all that this week we've got a lot to cover no time we we, we have no time there's no time and uh, we want to also respect our guests' time as well, and so we're going to just go right into this episode. Now, we do have a film that we're going to talk about today. We've done this before on previous iterations of Shade Cinema, uh, but before we get into that film, I thought it would be cool, since it's the month of October, we're talking about horror, horror films. We've already talked about it a little bit here. Mm-hmm. It may be cool to just go around and just talk about maybe everyone's relationship to horror movies and kind of where they stand. Because if you talk to anyone, Mm -hmm. everyone's going to have various opinions. Some people are like diehard horror movie buffs that and they'll watch everything. And I think we have two definitely two of those folks here with us today. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people are just very anti for different reasons. Right. Could be they don't like they don't like to be scared, um, or maybe there's uh, a religious reason yeah. as to why they they don't want to participate mm-hmm. in a film like that. So yeah. people are kind of all over the spectrum, and so it would be cool uh, just to talk about horror movies for a little bit. So instead of asking the experts first, Brad, I'm going to go to you. Tell us about. Your personal relationship to horror movies, do you do you enjoy them? Do you watch them? Do you hate them? What's what's going on? You know, it's interesting because I was thinking about when I was a kid and I couldn't do any sort of scary TV show or movie at all. So Hocus Pocus, I couldn't watch the whole thing. It used to scare <laughs> the crap out of me. Um, or another example, Are You Afraid of the Dark?, all yeah. my friends would talk about Are nice. You Afraid of the Dark on Nickelodeon. I couldn't watch it. Even just the intro would scare the crap out of me. I couldn't do it. I couldn't watch any scary films. But then as I grew up, so I, I didn't like it. Um, they were always kind of interesting to me, but I would be too scared. If I watched anything that was scary at all in any way, shape, or form, I would... I mean, even like The Addams Family. like I mean, <laughs> Just like anything <laughs> would scare me. And I wouldn't be able to sleep that night. I would wake up. I'd go in my parents' room, sleep on the floor. I mean, all that kind of stuff just freaked me out so much. I had such an active imagination. I can remember there was like a a devil. It, this might have been a church. <laughs> it would have been one place that I watched horror movies about going to hell. Um, <laughs> I think there was a devil in one of the movies. And I can remember laying in my bed and just having this tangible sense that that devil was about to walk around the corner into my room. I mean, so that was... That was me as a kid. And then I got to be a teenager, and I still didn't really like horror movies, but 
I felt like I needed to watch them. Like it was something mature. It was something cool. But I was always um, the guy, you know, to my shame. I would always be like, this movie isn't scary at all. This is so dumb. And secretly inside, I just want to cry because I'm so horrified <laughs> as I'm watching the movie. You know, uh, I'm very jumpy. Jump movies, you know, we're uh, it's probably not called jump movies. Y'all can correct me on that. But anytime like, there's like kind a, of a movie jump with scare, a jump scare. Yeah. Yes, it gets me every time. Um, I feel it. And so then, you know, I never really on my own, I'm not going to watch a horror movie or a, a scary movie. Uh, it was all, it would always be with people. And so when I got to seminary, I met Caleb and, uh, then a couple other friends that liked the horror genre. And they kind of introduced me to some, uh, films that were horror that were scary, but they also had a depth to them. So, like, one movie that's coming to mind is The Witch. And I think we might have talked mm. about that movie, but these kind of A29... A24. A24. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. It's A29 all right, is a church planning network. Yeah. <laughs> that was the most, like, pastor thing ever. <laughs> A29, A29 films. <laughs> Clearly, we have the experts in the room today. Um, yeah, and yeah, so... Robert Eggers. And so we yeah. would watch it. It would still scare the crap out of me, but we would talk about it afterwards, and... Uh, we would have really good conversations, and I would always get something out of it. And so that's kind of where I am with horror movies, is like Donnie Darko, uh, Patrick comes to me and is like, hey, you should watch this, and we should talk about it. And I'm like, okay. But I watched it during the day. <laughs> I was not going to watch it at night, because even with my wife laying in bed next to me, I would not go to sleep, because I would be so horrified. So that's me. Well... I would say I'm I'm similar, Brad. Uh, so I I've shared this on the podcast before, but I grew up like in, in independent, charismatic churches, and so uh, the realm of the supernatural was yeah. always present in my life because we talked so much about the Holy Spirit and, right, and the yeah. power of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. you know. But then you also you're you're also talking about demons and yeah. you're talking about hell and mm-hmm. Satan and and so uh, it's very and real the, the demonic realm, yes. Yeah. And so and uh, you know my parents didn't didn't like for me to watch anything that was inappropriate. And so usually what would happen is. If I was downstairs in our basement and we had direct TV, you know, I'd be flipping through the channels and, you know, let's say The Exorcist comes on, you know, TBS or something. I don't know <laughs> what channel it would come on, but it would be on cable mm-hmm. and, you know, I would just kind of pa- I would just sit there for a second and watch a little bit of it and get really scared. Yep. And then like change the channel when it became too much or if I thought my parents were about to come down. And so that was like early on. Those were my experiences with horror horror films at an at a young age was just like uh, I'm I am I'm captivated. I'm drawn to this because this feels like I shouldn't watch this right now. Mm. This feels, you know, mm. it, it feels like too, way too much for my brain to to handle and comprehend. Now, I will say growing up charismatic it, it wasn't the assemblies of god type stuff because ag was i feel like was really known for like the hell houses right things yeah. like that so my church never really participated in this but but i will say that i went to a private school in high school that was affiliated with assemblies of god and one chapel we watched this film uh, and I brought it up, and I had totally forgotten about it. And this "Be Afraid" podcast that just came out, the Christianity Today, mm, they yeah, reference they reference this movie, 
And I was like, holy crap, that is the film that we watched in chapel. And it is called M1028, which I guess is a reference to Matthew 1028. It's like a it's less than an hour long. But essentially, it's about this teenage girl that is parting. She's turned away from her Christian family. She goes to a party one night, and I guess she she's driving home and gets in an accident. And uh-huh. her heart stops beating, and she goes to hell for, for a certain amount of time before mm. the paramedics revive her. And so a majority of the film is like her in hell. And it was... Very scary. I'm pulling up some of the. <laughs> I'm pulling up some of the images here, and I think this can, is pretty horrifying. <laughs> I think you can watch it on YouTube. Maybe I haven't seen it since I watched it, but I kind of want to go back now. Now that I remember what it's called, I remember watching that and being super freaked out and scared. Um, now, as I got older, I really got into film in like 2005, uh-huh. uh, but that was more of. I need to watch all these important films. It wasn't really horror-driven at all, and I kind of stayed away from the horror genre for a long time. But I was like watching, you know, I, I was like, I need to watch all of Scorsese's films, and I need to do, I need to watch all of Tarantino's work, and mm-hmm. you know, Terrence Malick and Spielberg, and all, you know, all the big names, and uh, went through that. And it really wasn't until 2020. I think one night I was like, you know what? I I need to watch Night of the Living Dead. Like, I've never seen this film. I'm kind of freaked out about horror movies. I don't, like you, Brad, I don't Mm -hmm. like to watch them and then go to bed. And I watched that film and I was blown away. And that kind of got me on this path where I wouldn't say I'm all the way into watching all of the supernatural horror, I'm still like okay. a little hesitant with some of that stuff. Like exorcism, exorcism like ex- with Emily Rose yeah, kind like of stuff thing? like that. Now, I'm interested. Like, there's a part of me that wants to watch it, and there's a part of me that's like, what is going to happen when I watch this film? Yeah. Like, what, how am I going to respond? Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I love all the 80s horror stuff I have really gotten into. The campiness... <laughs> The che- mm. like some of the cheesiness of it, and there's some really good stuff in there too. It's not all cheesy, but sure, I, I love the practical effects of it. I love mm. the way they feel the music, um, and so you know, like I didn't watch Halloween for the first time until last year. John Carpenter's Halloween, like the original one. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever seen it. It's maybe, incredible. Maybe I watched it in college one time, but. Yeah, it's incredible, and I'm not. I mean, these guys know. These oh, guys know, know how how great it is. But I had not watched Scream until this year. Yeah, I've never like seen that, it. So that's kind of my experience with horror movies. Like, man, I spent all this time avoiding it, and for these last three years, I've kind of I've started to really get into it. So mm. it's a, it's a very new thing for me, but I'm but it's exciting. It's an yeah. exciting time. Okay, so that's where I'm at. Um, yeah. Patrick. Yeah. Let's hear from you, man. Well, first off, Brad, that's your homework. Go watch Scream. You'll have a great time with that one. Well, do watch it See, during the day. It will okay. be scary for you. Yeah, uh, it will. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's funny, okay. uh, which is great. Um, uh-huh. It's super well directed. Yeah. It's, it's a, that whole franchise is great. I love Scream. Um, horror and how, it ha- I guess, my, my experience with horror. Uh, my family has never been, like, averse to horror, but they definitely tried not to expose it to me too early. Like, my dad's been an avid Stephen King fan pretty much his entire life because he he was growing up as those books were being released. 
Uh, and so a lot of those books were just kind of like laying around my house, but they put it on bookshelves that were too tall for me to reach mm. for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. So I just waited for uh, the first chance where both of my parents were out of the house so I could go get a chair from the kitchen and find <laughs> the shortest Stephen King book I could so I could read as much of it as possible before they got back. <laughs> um, he wrote a novella back in the 80s called Cycle of the Werewolf, which has since been adapted to a movie called Silver Bullet. Uh-huh. Um, it's really short. It's got a bunch of pictures. Uh, and the pictures are what got me because there's like pictures of uh, a werewolf like ripping someone's throat out. And so I was like, yep, that's good. And then didn't sleep for three days. <laughs> so at a very early age, I was like briefly exposed to horror. But then like there, there's always that weird tendency where it's like that did scare me, but I kind of want more. Mm. Um, and mm-hmm. so... Over the years, I've, I've obviously evolved, and, like, I don't just want to be scared. I, like, want a good story. I enjoy a lot of the campy stuff from the 80s, Friday the 13th. That entire franchise is a special place in my heart. But, like, I love horror films that have a little bit more depth to them, like you were talking about, um, which is why stuff like Donnie Darko really works for me mm. uh, and why the Scream films, I think, work so well as well. Mm. Yeah. All right, Caleb, let's hear from you. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm like all of you guys grew up in a Christian home. Uh, my dad was a pastor all my life. Um, but one, I guess, strange thing uh, growing up, pretty conservative uh, Baptist home, is that my parents were not, um, they weren't really strict about horror. Um, they didn't promote it or anything like that, but like, my dad bought me old um, Universal Movie Monster VHSs, uh, VHS tapes, and I, I would watch these old like Frankenstein and Dracula movies, and they were terrifying, you know, mm. as a child watching those things. And Brad, like you, I, I, I watched, you know, Are You Afraid of the Dark, Goosebumps. I was always drawn to that mm. stuff, but I, I also hated it at the same time. <laughs> and so I think something that's so interesting when we talk about horror is that it's a genre that everybody starts like, okay, so when I was a kid, like we don't talk about dramas or romantic comedies or anything else. Like we always go to our childhood when we feel like the most vulnerable and impressionable. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I was I, like everybody else. I, I've always been drawn um, uh, to the genre, but I've always simultaneously hated it. Uh, and I, you know, go to sleepovers and, you know, they wanted to watch Halloween or, um, you know, a, a newer ghost movie or something like that. Um, uh, the Haunting, I think, is the one that traumatized me when I was 13. Um, and I always just felt like I needed to watch it. I was compelled to watch it. Not even through, like, peer pressure. It's just, like, something I personally needed to do. And I despised it for the longest time. <laughs> Um, and then in recent years, I have just been addicted to it. And, you know, as I, I found it's interesting as I've grown in my faith and stepped more into my role and calling in ministry, I find myself all the more drawn <laughs> to horror as a <laughs> cathartic experience. And, you know, uh, John Mark, you mentioned, I think just a few minutes ago, this new Christianity Today podcast um, uh, with. I can't remember his name, Cutter Calloway, I think, uh, who's yeah. a film professor out at uh, Fuller. Um, but 
I do think that there is something deeply spiritual about horror movies and the the yeah. reaction that it uh, elicits in us. And I even told this to my congregation recently from the pulpit uh, <laughs> that horror movies for me make me think about God. <laughs> so mm-hmm. like, you know, not just, uh, I mean, yeah, I enjoy the campy, you know, you know, Friday the 13th part six, Jason lives, uh, <laughs> which has got a bunch of sight gags and like really silly, funny, cheesy, um, but impressive, you know, physical effects in it and makeup, yeah. you know, like I, I, I think there's an artistry in that and it's just kind of fun, but I really am drawn to things that make me deeply think about God and about life and about um, the spiritual world. And uh, I don't think there's any other genre um, a film that does that for me more than horror. Uh, and so I find myself um, constantly returning to the horror well uh, to, in some sense, to partake in it devotionally. As crazy as that sounds to some people, because, again, although my parents were never standoffish about it with me and not super strict, although they were about other things, I grew up in a culture where it was like horror movies, you know, I, I had friends that couldn't go trick or treating because um, Halloween is Satan's birthday, <laughs> you mm, know? Yeah. And so, and I, you know, I was, I would get handed uh, Jack Chick comic book tracks that scared the hell out of me, quite literally. I mean, you know, about, mm-hmm. it's the same thing as those hell houses you were talking about, like Christianity presented as this uh, through the mechanism of fear. Um, and terror and that God is this monster at the end of time (laughs) that will eviscerate us all if we don't act right, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So I've always just been so compelled by that emotion of fear. But in recent years, I found it really um, um, spiritually beneficial for me. And so I love talking about the paradox of that with other, especially with other Christians. Mm. Caleb, one of the things that comes to mind is is I'm just listening to you talk and talk about your love of horror. I'm just thinking about how many people cannot relate to that in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> and your mom being one of them, I can remember yeah. you saying oh, that totally. your mom at one point said to you, I don't know why you are the way that you are. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, or something along those lines. Of oh, like, totally. can't explain it. Why? Why did you turn out this way? I, I just don't yes. get it. And to you me, know, it's just so funny. Yeah, I, I think Brad, it's so funny you say that because I was supposed to be born around Halloween. I was born a few days after it, but my mom was—I'm not kidding. She prayed, God, please don't let him be born on Halloween because he'll be so weird. Um, but, but I was born well after Halloween, and I still turned out weird. Uh, so, you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways, but you know, you, you brought up my mom. She is somebody that is, she hates horror and she Mm -hmm. loves, you know, Hallmark movies and all that stuff. She reads all the Amish Christian fiction. Um, my mom is one of, I really the godliest people I know. She loves the scriptures. She loves people. She is so generous Mm -hmm. with everybody. Um, she's a spiritual hero of mine. And yet she has no compunction to ever engage in this medium. In fact, you know, she'll say to me, she was like, I don't know why you like that stuff so much. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's all horror and death. And she says, the world has enough of that already. So why would I, you know, in my leisure time, why would I want to engage with that more? Mm. And so I totally respect anybody that says horror is not for me. The world is hard enough. My life is hard enough. Um, I just don't want to think about that stuff. I totally get and respect that. So I'm not one of these snobs that like, oh, if you don't like horror, you're not like really into the art form. No, I don't (laughs) care about that. Um, But I do think that um, getting into horror, you have to have a... um, a healthy self-understanding of the things you can tolerate. Uh, Brad, I know you and I have a friend um, that also went to Beeson, a guy named Court that's a minister there in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says he can't even watch trailers because they'll stick with him forever. <laughs> Court's, you know, Court is uh, a, a brilliant guy. Yeah. He's thought about, wrote about death a lot um, mm-hmm. as a theological interest. He's a great pastor. So he deals with real-life horror all the time. If he doesn't want to engage with it, on a fictional level, I mean, who could do anything but respect the guy for that? So I want to make sure too, I'm not, you know, in my dis- in discussing my own passion and appreciation for um, for horror. I don't want to make it sound like if you don't like it, you're you're missing out on this great spiritual practice. I want to make mm, that clear mm, too. Mm. Yeah. Well, this might be a good point. I don't know, John Mark. Uh, if you're planning on talking about this at some point, but it is interesting to talk about different people's experiences as horror films, as we talked about our own experience, how, and I'd love to hear Caleb and Patrick, and maybe you, John Mark, talk about this as well. You know, I I know the three of y'all, y'all aren't people that avoid evil and horror in the world. You you aren't people that bury your heads in the sand, you know, and just avoid that. You aren't people that remove yourself from any kind of pain and suffering and uh, go to horror simply for just kind of an entertainment or something because you haven't experienced any pain or suffering or hardships or anything like that. And so what I'd be curious to talk about a little bit is how for some people it's exactly what Caleb said, where like there's enough evil and suffering in the world. I can't think or engage with this sort of medium. But I imagine for y'all, it's actually the other way around, that engaging with the medium in some way helps you um, think through and engage with and and process um, the evil and suffering in the world. So maybe we could talk about that. Yeah, I think just because uh, it's not mentioned in the Bible, it's one of those things that just comes down to wisdom. And for Mm. some people, including some of my family members, it's just they don't need that. They, they watch the news enough. They know what's going on uh, around the world and they, they know what's happening in their own communities. It's horrific enough. Mm-hmm. And so they don't really need uh, any more uh, to just make their lives worse <laughs> or to just like meditate on that any, anymore. Yeah. Um, and so I just say it's a purely a wisdom issue in, in, in mm-hmm. the same way that like riding a roller coaster is a wisdom issue. If you have any number of health concerns, <laughs> you shouldn't get on the roller coaster. <laughs> but weirdly enough for a lot of people, it feels like they're judging you for getting on the roller coaster. They're like, how dare you? It's like, well, I'm, I'm safe. I'm, I'm fine. This doesn't affect me in the same way that it does you. And that's just understanding that I'm not going into this movie because no one's going on a roller coaster because they're like, Oh, I'm going to die. They're not thrilled (laughs) by that. They're thrilled by the, the, the illusion of unsafety. Mm -hmm. They're thrilled by that. They're thrilled by, 
just the engagement with some of the darker stuff in life, which most other mediums just aren't going to tackle. Mm. Uh, because, mm-hmm. I mean, in America, we're pretty death phobic. We don't really like to talk about that. And mm. sadly, in my life, I've been you know faced with a lot of like death in my family and friends. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, with this particular genre uh, of media, it's one of the few places you can go where like they're going to talk about it frankly, and it's going to be sad and it's going to suck, but they're at least going to be talking about it, which is a healthy way to to deal with it. And so, in a lot of ways, horror has helped me parse out my own mortality and come to terms with that, mm-hmm. and it helped me to parse through the mortality of friends and loved ones who I've lost along the way. Um, so it's been, like you said, for me it is in, in many ways a comfort, uh, like yeah. the, the day before I went to my grandfather's funeral last year, I watched, uh, me and Earl and the dying girl. And I think just some random 80s slasher, <laughs> uh, just because it helped me parse through what I was experiencing in that moment and, and being reminded that I like, like I'm not alone, mm. uh, but it's in like a safe confine where like, I know once I get off the roller coaster, I'm going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I you know, my condolences to you, uh, Patrick, on your loss. I mean, I I mean, I think like you, I understand that. You know, I had a brother die unexpectedly last year, one that I was really close to. Uh, he was a good bit older than me, but it's still so shocking to get that kind of phone call. <laughs> we were in the middle of a prayer meeting in our church, um, and you know, my parents are part of my church, and they stepped away and. They got a call and they came back and said, like, you know, your brother has died. And so, I mean, that's such a, you know, that's that's such a horrific announcement to get. Um, and yet I'm really compelled by things like, uh, you know, Stephen King's Pet Cemetery. that's mm. about the loss of someone dear to you and how you would go to any means to get that person back, uh, even if them coming back is not the right thing for them because they won't be truly themselves. Like I exist in a world where, you know, those personally I've experienced those things. And yet I think about them in this, uh, in this medium. Um, and, uh, you know, as a Christian, just reading the scriptures, like every page is filled with its own horror. I mean, Mm. we would all say as Christians, the, the event by which, we have been made Christians. The crucifixion of the Lord of glory, of Jesus Christ, is the most horrific event imaginable. Uh, as Fleming Rutledge, who's that great Episcopal writer, says that there is nothing remotely religious about the crucifixion itself. It's the most irreligious event in human history because it's a pagan torture device upon which the God-man is killed by conspiring state and church authorities being totally abandoned by his friends and totally left derelict before God himself. (laughs) That's Mm. the central event that we celebrate in our faith. Like there is nothing um, redemptive from um, sort of a, um, a normal viewpoint about that. And yet it's through what God does in inverting the world in, and undoing the ravages of sin and death and evil and, and violence and terror in that moment uh, that we celebrate ultimately. And so I think, you know, just delving into this topic, um, 
with wisdom, I really appreciate you bringing that up, Patrick. It takes a lot of wisdom to navigate this and to interpret it and experience it rightly. Uh, can help you see that um, the things that you're afraid of um, have actually been inverted by God. Um, a friend of mine has written this amazing piece for Mockingbird. I share it almost every um, every Halloween season, uh, where he talks about the history of Halloween and how I think it's Pope Gregory the Sixth took this like you know festival that the pagans had, where they were afraid of the encroaching darkness of the fall and winter, and where in their you know, um, sort of cosmology, the spirits were alive and tormenting them. Um, well, he turns this into uh, All Saints Day um, or All Hallows' Eve, All Saints' Eve. Um, it's a day where we're celebrating God's people triumphing even through martyrdom, even through suffering. And ironically, throughout time, Halloween has become a children's holiday where they dress up like monsters and ghouls, <laughs> and we watch these movies and laugh, and we all do it in safety. In some sense, that shows like these things don't have power over us. Death, <laughs> um, monsters, the things that we're most afraid of psychologically, spiritually, physically, these things are have been defanged. And I think Christians, more than anybody, should be willing to celebrate that. Um, and it's only through the horror of the cross that we uh, are able to approach these things and see them as the as just shadows in, in a and before a, you know fleeting before this coming light, and so um, I think even all the real world horrors I've experienced in my own personal life, um, this genre again makes me think of the fact the the spiritual ontological reality that God is overcoming those things. And that they have no power over me anymore. And so mm. I think that's why I really um, enjoy this medium so much. I think I probably got way off topic there of the <laughs> questions you guys are asking. Um, so pardon me for just blathering on there. No, that was so good. We might need to do an invitation. <laughs> yeah. does, does anyone want to put their trust in Jesus right now? <laughs> I kind of want to do it again. Man. No, that was beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to be able to top that with any answer. I will say, um, I, I'm just thinking through so many different thoughts right now. I was watching Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory with my family the other night, which I love this movie so much. I used to watch it when I was a kid. The tunnel scene always used to scare me so much because... You know, it's like any kid's dream would be to go to this chocolate factory full of candy. And, yep. <laughs> you know, the first room they walk into, everything, you can eat anything that you want. And then weird things start to happen. You know, it almost it's almost like this, this awesome chocolate factory turns into like a killing factory. And, like, all these kids are, like, dropping left and right that yeah. are on this, that have won this ticket to this tour. But, man, when they go into that tunnel and uh, Gene Wilder is reciting that poem from the book and just number one, just killing it acting wise. <laughs> I mean, just knocking it out of the park, but that's an interesting uh, scene because it's this, it shows uh, how excitement and fun and fear 
are almost like these two sides of the same coin. Like it's this back and forth thing of like, uh, like you were talking about with the roller coaster, Patrick, that's a, that's a great example of that. And so I think horror movies, I think they, they play into that a lot. It's this, there's an excitement there. There can be things that are fun. And then there's also like, it also draws out this fear and maybe it's, it's, uh, a part of you facing that fear. And so when you, when you finish a movie for some people, it feels like they've actually like conquered something, right? They've, they've faced their fear and conquered something. And then you also, uh, with this medium, I think there's an opportunity to walk away being enlightened, whether that's, um, learning more about who God is in the world. It could be a number of things. I think there's, uh, some great, uh, like social horror movies that have been released. I think of Get Out. I think of one from the 90s that mm. I just watched recently called Tales from the Hood, uh, which I think inspired a lot of uh, some of the things that are happening in Get Out. But Tales from the Hood is like four different tales, um, that, and they address uh, systemic injustice, uh, police brutality, domestic abuse, uh, institutional racism, all in a horror movie. Mm. And uh, I'm like, man, we need to be like watching this film like in history <laughs> classes. Like this is like, you could you could take away, you, you don't even have to say anything after that. You just watch yep. the film and go, oh wow, I've really, I've learned a lot about the world that I live in just from watching this crazy horror movie. So that's, yeah, uh, that's what I love so much about the genre as I've gotten more exposed to it and more into it. Right. Well, I mean, that's part of what makes the genre so thrilling is that it truly is still outsider art. And it's why so many directors get their start in the genre, because like you can throw a million dollars at a director and be like, go try something out. Uh, but it's also why you get uh, black communities and in, 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 in all kinds of uh, minority communities getting represented in art that way first. Because, you know, we're already the, the weird kids or at the back of the bus. We're already the island of misfit toys. We might as well just do whatever we want to because no one's going to tell us no. And it's the one place, the one spot in cinema that we have a chance. And oftentimes they don't do it perfectly. But, you know, it's, it's why you get movies like Night of the Living Dead, which are still so politically charged. I mean, right. that movie yeah. comes out in 1968, which yep. is historically relevant for the South uh, right. and in mm-hmm. the civil rights movement. And yep. the fact that the, the main character is a black man is revolutionary at the time. Yeah. Um, and that, that movie is still so powerful because of like how politically charged it is. Yeah. So real quick, before we get into Donnie Darko, <laughs> uh, I wanted to talk about, genres of horror movies real quick and we don't have to spend too much time on this but i've got what i think are the genres of of horror movies and i'm just gonna throw these out there and if you guys agree or if we're missing one or two (laughs) let me know okay Mm -hmm. so uh i've got monster movies and i think monster movies uh could be anything from frankenstein to vampires like nosferatu uh, but also like zombie films yeah. as well. I Your think creature features. Creatures, yes. Uh, okay. Okay. Slasher films, which is like your Halloween, John Carpenter's Halloween. Um, what would be some other examples of Scream? Scream. Of yep. Scream. Wes Craven. Scream. Okay. Mm. So you've got slasher. You've got body horror, which is per- not my favorite. <laughs> um, but I've watched a. F- you know, I watched The Fly, like David Cronenberg. Yeah. Woof. David Cronenberg does a lot 
with body horror, and I've seen a number of his films now. I think like eight or nine, and um, The Fly was one where I was like, "This is this is tough to watch." But he do, and he does that a lot, and the practical effects are just incredible. Okay, okay wait, too. not not to stay here for too yeah, long. Yeah, but but I'm curious. Now I know I'm gonna out him. I know Chris Cargill <laughs> loves those films. Yeah. One of our dear dear elders. Yeah. Um, I'm curious for Patrick and Caleb. Do, do you guys enjoy those films, or do you not body like horror? Bo- body horror. Do you not enjoy it, but you feel like there's something to be gained <laughs> from it? I'm just if I think that's that might be where I draw the line. Maybe there's a film that I'm not thinking of, but I'd, I'd be curious to hear y'all's thoughts. Yeah, that doesn't strike me as a genre that, or subgenre that you would particularly care for, Brad. Yeah, but thank you. Uh, the answer is yes and no. Okay. Uh, like I do, I do love it, but like you know. It's the part of me that's sick. Yeah, uh, the, okay. the part of me that's that's wrong. Um, <laughs> and, and it's because it's like, it's good art. Like it's well made, and it's it's tackling interesting themes. And I think it's it's something that like the fly is a great example. Uh, more recent examples are like Tatan and Raw from Julia de Corna, which is French. You know, they make weird movies. Mm. Um, and so like. The part of me that like gets bothered by all the practical effects sure. is like uh, I don't like this, but yeah. the themes that they're tackling in those movies I think are very potent, and they're potent because of what they're doing uh, mm. visually. Okay, yeah, that's good, Caleb. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I kind of echo what everyone's saying. Yes, in some sense, like I don't like of all the horror movies I could watch, I'd rather not watch those. Um, but there are really good movies that tackle interesting ideas uh, i mean they're really personal movies a lot of the time too dealing with physical change dealing with emotional and existential dread i mean it's really centered on that kind of isolation and horror you feel as you go through these transformations um and they can be like really gnarly uncomfortable like too personal of movies but they usually have something pretty interesting to say um but yeah, mm. I mean, probably my least favorite, just in terms of like that sort of gross factor, because uh, yeah, I I just don't do well typically with like mutilation and stuff like that. It's just too, I'm just too squeamish for that. But a lot of those movies are pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, think I mean, how Del many Toro t- does this especially well. Now, granted, his, his movies aren't just body horror, but mm. he weaponizes those moments in, in very interesting ways that are uh, powerful story moments. Mm-hmm. Um, because I mean, there's plenty of video essays that talk about like what Del Toro does. But any time that he's making a movie, the monster is never the monster, and then they take like a physical human being and just show them to be like as some other people have said, a meat puppet and make them monstrous through like an act of body horror. Mm. All right. So there's body horror. And then the last genre, well, I've kind of got two more, but supernatural. So this would be your exorcist, your exorcism of Emily Rose. That, that would be that genre supernatural. Uh, and uh, then, okay. Yeah. I hate to stop you, yeah, <laughs> but I think this would be a really interesting conversation and I'm going to throw it on Caleb and I'm going to go ahead and apologize to him because it's a massive question. <laughs> but if there's anyone that's uh, apt to answer it, Patrick, I want to hear your thoughts too. So with the supernatural horror, one of the uh, types of movies that, that come to mind are the exorcism movies, right? Now, two things here. One, Caleb, might, we might have to delete this, but I'm just going to go ahead and share it. I can remember <laughs> Caleb telling me one time, 
that he watched two of those movies. He was it was when he was single. It was Do you remember which ones they were? I don't. Okay. But the two of those types of movies. It it was late at night. He was in his apartment by himself. He watched two of them. Not just one. (laughs) Back to back. (laughs) Then he went in the next room and he went to sleep. (laughs) Maybe he was just really tired, Brad. So yeah. (laughs) So that's kind of the fun story. But here's the second part. And Caleb, you know, pastorally, I know you, you've you thought through this. I know there are some people that would say Christians shouldn't watch those movies because they shouldn't open themselves up to that kind of evil spiritual activity. And so as someone who has watched those movies, who's talked about those movies, I, I'd be curious to hear your response, what you might say. Uh, well, you know, it, I mean, it is a wide uh, field of those kinds of movies. You have some that mm-hmm. feel eminently Christian. I mean, The Exorcist is a great example. Um, that movie is, I mean, I'm, I guess we can spoil the movie here. For yeah, we're going to, sp- yeah, yeah, let's, let's spoil sure. it. Let's spoil I it. I mean, the only way that this little child is delivered from this demon is that one of the exercising priests invites the demon into himself at the, when all else fails and then jumps out a window and dies. Um, so he can deliver this girl. I mean, to me, that's <laughs> a greater love hath no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. I mean, what better Christological example of sacrificial love could you have than this Christus Victor atonement theme of of the the Christ hero, the priest, um, inviting the demon to assault him instead of somebody else and then dying under the, that demon's power? I mean, to mm. me, that's the story of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um so you have stuff like that. And then you also have like the paranormal activities where there is oh, yeah. no church or, or Christian or even spiritual presence. And all of that stuff is relegated to the background. And these people are just damned to be tormented by these demons. They have no power over them. I do think the first paranormal activity movie is really brilliant and great. They, you know, have diminishing returns with that genre, as a lot of uh, horror movies do. Um, it, both I in did terms see of that artistry and um, and you know thematic, you know, impact or whatever. Uh, and budget, but, right? What was yeah. that? <laughs> and so, I mean, it just you know it can depend. But I mean, the Conjuring movies. I mean, uh, those are movies that take place. You know, I had a friend say to me recently, he's like, I love these horror movies that like one of the ground rules is that Christianity is just true. (laughs) You know, like, I mean, vampires that are afraid of the cross, it's because Jesus has power over them. (laughs) You know, it's like, you got it. Like in some sense, they take the, the, the terms of Christianity seriously. Um, And so it it just depends when you're watching these movies. Um, I would, I would want people to look at the films that tend to depict that um and again this is not going to be done theologically perfectly because a lot of these are hollywood movies uh but the exorcism of emily rose where the whole point is that this girl is willing to sacrifice herself to show her that to show the world that god is real and to be trusted 
uh, the conjuring where, you know, the church and Christ have power over these demons that torment people. Um, you know, there's some really interesting things to be mined in there, but you know, the field is huge and there's a lot of stuff where it's just like, you know, God isn't real. Uh, evil is the only thing that exists in this world. And if you just step Mm. back and take that to be true, that evil is the only metaphysical reality. And then there is no such thing as God. And we're all on our own. Like those things aren't always going to be, um, a super good use of your time, uh, to watch those things. They may be, you know, artistically, thematically interesting, but they're not going to have a lot of spiritual benefit to them. So again, it really does come down Mm. to wisdom. But there are a lot of um, possession movies that I think really just show that God is God is this ultimate reality and truth, and love and light can't be defeated, uh, even though mm. it can terrorize us for a long time. Mm. Yeah, it's good. Patrick, is there anything you want to add? Or uh, I would tend to agree. I think that's part of what. I mean, not part of what. It's exactly what makes The Exorcist such a powerful film. I just watched it for the first time like two weeks ago just so I could go see the new one in theaters mm-hmm. um, and was blown away by like how good and how powerful that film still is uh, all these years later. Um, mm. But in general, other than like that and a couple others like The Conjuring movies and Paranormal Activity, I tend to not care for the supernatural horror films like ghost stuff just doesn't move the needle at all for me Mm. it doesn't scare me i mean predominantly because i don't believe in ghosts uh and i think that's that's that that's an extension of like most of this stuff like if you don't believe in it it's very difficult to be scared by it um but if you do believe like oh there is a boogeyman out there then of course you're gonna when you put on halloween late at night you're gonna be a little bit freaked out that someone's gonna come and get you Mm. um but yeah, th- for most supernatural films, I, it just doesn't doesn't do anything for me. But yeah. The Exorcist is like a, a really good example of one that does it well and right. Yeah, the last thing I'll say about this is with the supernatural horror, uh, the Be Afraid podcast from Christianity Today has talked about how, you know, so often these films are kind of placing before us the things that we fear most in our world yeah. and making it a reality. And so it just makes me think about a description of the um, author, David Foster Wallace, who uh, wasn't a Christian, but someone wrote that he was haunted by transcendence his entire life. He was haunted by the supernatural. And so if you think about someone who does, isn't operating with a Christian framework, you know, we live in a world that so often wants to reduce everything to the material. Right. Um, everything can be explained Uh, through kind of a scientific understanding. And I think what these movies do is they constantly place before us, I don't know, something deep within us that says there is something else, there's something more, and what is that? And if there is something more, then what kind of power does it have? What kind of shaping influence does it have on my life? So I think that's fascinating that we just can't get away from that as a society. Yeah, so Supernatural was kind of the last <laughs> genre that I had. I threw in psychological psychological thriller, which I think yeah, I is one that. of those that's kind of on the it's on the fence there, right? Because yeah. it's like it's not a true maybe not a true horror film, but there's definitely some things going on and I feel like Donnie Darko 
is in that vein a little bit as we get into this movie. Are there any genres that I'm missing? Thoughts before we move on to the movie? I will push back on the narrative that thrillers aren't horror films. I okay. think they're a subset. I think okay. the delineation between thriller and horror tends to be more of like a supernatural bent and like a mm. more realistic bent. Yeah. Uh, and it's also a category that's been invented for people who don't like horror films, but also <laughs> right. secretly like horror films right. <laughs> to like right. make themselves feel good. So like thrillers can be nominated for Academy Awards. Horror yeah. films, no, that's not allowed. Right. It's why you see tons of performances um, like Tony Collette and uh, Hereditary not get nominated. Um, plenty of others mm. just not getting nominated. I mean, it's the reason that Get Out didn't get nominated for a uh, like a like a, a ton of awards. Yeah, it's because that's, that's it's insane. a horror film. It only right. won for screenplay, despite probably being the best film that year. Yeah, uh, it was insane. at least nominated for best picture because they had to admit that it was really good. Yeah, <laughs> but they also had to give it the category of this is a thriller. Oh, interesting. So it's I just I hate that yeah <laughs> that yeah. line of thinking. So are there any other uh, sub genres that I'm missing, or did we does that cover all that monster slashers? Uh, body horror, supernatural, and psychological thriller. I think that's most of them. Yeah. All right, yeah. cool. All right. Wait, Caleb, were you going to say something? Oh, I was just saying, I think that covers almost everything. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. Let's talk about Donnie Darko. We've spent a lot of time talking about <laughs> horror movies. Let's talk about Donnie Darko. Okay, real quick. Donnie Darko is a 2001 American psychological thriller written and directed by Richard Kelly. The film stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Jenna Malone, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Mary McDonald, Drew Barrymore, Patrick Swayze. The film follows Donnie Darko, an emotionally troubled teenager who narrowly escapes a bizarre accident by sleepwalking. After the accident, he is plagued by visions of a man in a large rabbit suit who manipulates him to commit a series of crimes. Donnie is off his medication and become, becomes increasingly delusional, convinced that the world will end in 28 days. So that's the basic premise. If I read that premise, I'm definitely in. I am like, I am interested. If I haven't seen a trailer, anything I read that, I'm going, whoa, that is what is happening here. Mm -hmm. um, so Donnie Darko comes out in 2001. Unfortunate. <laughs> yes, and I, and I watched your... Uh, your YouTube video, Patrick, about this film. So it 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 came out right after September yeah, 11th. October twenty uh, sixth of two thousand one. Just a very unfortunate Brutal. time for a film. It's like uh, you, you get films the year before in two thousand, like Final Destination, that you think about. Like if that movie comes out just a year later, it, it's it's going to tank, and then you don't have a whole franchise of those films. Mm. And Donnie Darko was one of those unfortunate, slightly art house horror films that. Uh, just happened to come out at the exact wrong time and get the short end of the stick. Uh, and it's why it's technically a cult horror film because it didn't perform well at the box office when it initially came out for obvious reasons. People didn't want a horror film with a, a plane killing people mm. um, for, yeah. <laughs> I, I would argue, pretty obvious reasons sure. in, in October of 2001. Right. Um, so it, it just didn't. It didn't do well, yeah. um, but luckily uh, through like midnight screenings and things like that, it slowly uh, and like when Blockbuster was still a thing back then, it was getting rented pretty well, and so it, it really ended up making its budget back later on through like DVD rentals and, and VHS rentals from Blockbuster. Mm. And I feel like that skeleton costume that he wears towards the end of the movie they 
I'm sure they sell that at like Spirit Halloween, but yep. I feel like I used to see it in Hot Topic all the time when I was like a teenager, <laughs> and I used to go in there to get my studded belts and things like that, um, and my skinny jeans. But um, well, why did you pick this film, Patrick? What what uh, brought you to this conclusion? We said, man, we'd love to do a podcast. Why Donnie Darko? Well, uh, it's a film I think that invites conversations about faith and in horror pretty well. Uh, now, granted, I hadn't watched it in a little bit before I recommend it. And so, like, as I'm wa- watching it to prepare for the podcast, uh, I'm hearing some of the dialogue in this movie. I'm like, ooh, didn't remember that bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess. This is I not sh- an apology whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. I'm not apologizing for this choice. We, but. Public service <laughs> announcement. Yeah, PSA, if you're listening to this, you haven't seen it. Number one, we're going to spoil and talk about things in the film. Number two, it is rated R. It has explicit language in the film, primarily really through the this the first half of the film yep. where most of the jokes are being told. There's actually a very f- I didn't remember it being this funny it to is be funny, honest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was the the lines that the uh, dad was delivering in this movie, just the dark satirical humor going on, and uh, just his kind of absent mindedness and his approach, and you know it's the late '80s and it's Reagan era and. Oh my gosh! Just the the jokes that he was saying just were killing me. Um, so funny. I think the funniest the the moment I laughed the hardest was when Beth Grant, who plays Kitty Farmer, said <laughs> to uh, Donnie's mom, who I'm blanking on because I literally just finished the film, but uh, <laughs> I'm beginning to question your commitment to Sparkle Motion. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Um, okay. Yeah. So right. So you yes. Anyway, so that was the PSA, explicit language yes. and conversation. Do your research before. Don't just right. go watch it. Go on, Patrick. Uh, well, also, I was trying to pick a film that hopefully, if Jonathan was up for it, he would be willing to watch because it's not too scary. It's more of a, a creepy, eerie thriller, as yes. you said. Um, so I was trying to approach it from like a film that would both easily necessitate the conversation that would... I think justify it being on the show, yep, yep, yep. Uh, and then also trying to pick one that everyone would be interested in watching, or at least be willing to watch. But Jonathan ditched on us. <laughs> well, people have talked about it so much, and I've never seen it. I mean, yeah. it's but people will just insert it into conversation all the time. So yeah, I'm glad I got this opportunity. So what is happening here? So let's just talk about. <laughs> there's a lot going on in this movie, and. Uh, I feel like the pacing is really cool because there's always it feels like there's always something new being introduced to the plot as it moves. And so as you're trying to put the pieces together as the viewer on what's going on, this was the first time I had watched it in maybe 15 years. There's always like a new character, a new uh something big that's going on in the plot that's moving it, but you can never really pi- quite put your finger on where is this headed and what I- exactly is happening. Time travel gets introduced at one point. Mm-hmm. You have all these interesting characters like the Patrick Swayze character, and he just, I mean, his performance is phenomenal. Uh, you get all that stuff going on. You get a little bit of uh, like the sparkle motion woman, and it's like <laughs> she's, she, seems to be a fundamentalist Christian. Yeah. There's things being said, not being said. Um, it's it's a really interesting way in which they deliver it. And then you get to the end, and I've seen just so, a big Google uh, search item is, 
explain the ending to Donnie Darko. <laughs> yep. Uh, because I think a lot of people probably watched it and walked away going, what just happened? And right. what is going on? Did he time travel? Did John Mark, is- can I ask a question <laughs> here at the top? Yeah. Um, now, I didn't really know about this, but apparently there is a big debate amongst fans of uh, which is the better version. Because there's two versions. There's the theatrical yeah. cut that was released into theaters, obviously. And then sometime later, Richard Kelly released a director's cut that I think is like 20, maybe 25 minutes longer or something like that. Do you guys happen to know which version of the movie you saw? Uh, I convinced both of them to watch the theatrical cut. Okay, good. Okay. Uh, because yes. that's the version I saw. Um, <laughs> just And I had friends that are super into this movie that all say the theatrical cut is the way to go. As I understand yep. it, um, the director's cut tries to explain more of the technicality behind the time travel stuff and everything. And that, I think from what I was able to gain, having not watched it, that seems to take a lot of the mystery away from what's actually happening here. Or it, right, you yes, know, it, it the lines aren't as blurred, but I think to the movie's detriment. So I was just curious to see if we were all on the same page about that. Yeah, that's primarily why I advocated for the theatrical cut. I do know that there is uh, kind of a split in in fans between which version is better. Primarily, I think I like the ambiguity more because it allows you to read more into it, and then the soundtrack is better in the theatrical cut. So, uh, easy I did choice love the for soundtrack. Me. Well, where do we want to go from here, Patrick? What are some thoughts that you have about Donnie thoughts. Darko? Um, well, I just I, I love the fact that this is like set at a Catholic school. It's very specifically like. It's pulling from a very lived experience for Richard Kelly because he he did grow up up going to a private Catholic school. And so uh, baking in a lot of that imagery uh, calls back to a lot of other great horror films of the past that have like either been explicitly in a a Christian or or Catholic school or tangling with Catholic or Christian ideas. Uh, I mean, Wes Craven, who was interviewed on the, the Be Afraid podcast, um, it, it, it's all over his work for um, obvious reasons. I mean, once you read like his, about his life, you you know that he grew up in like a fundamentalist Christian community. So uh, a lot of that, those elements are still explored throughout his entire filmic career. And so this question is going to show how dumb I am. <laughs> what did what has he done? Scream, Scream. Oh, okay. Uh, and I want to make Street. Yeah. I want to make the case that we see true Baptist excellence both in the Nightmare on Elm Street. And Scream franchises. Yes. That's where Wes Craven, you know, he, he represents he went, us well. He went to Wheaton College. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Which is, uh, I didn't know that until I listened to that podcast. It blew, blew me away. Baptist excellence, oh, baby. <laughs> <laughs> we interrupted you, Patrick. Continue. Um Got to figure out where I was in my thoughts. <laughs> yeah, no, you were talking about Richard Stanley and his, or uh, Richard Kelly and yeah. his background. So, uh, oh yeah, one of the things that made me want to pick this movie is that a lot of people think of it as a perfect exploration of the Lenten season. And the reason why we're not talking about this at the Linton season is I just knew there was no shot I was going to be able to talk about a horror <laughs> film uh, <laughs> at Easter time. No I doubt. felt like Jonathan would push back a little bit more on that. Yes. Um, but, like, yeah, it's it's all about meditating on death and on questions of mortality. Uh, I mean, 
Donnie talks about in his uh, therapy sessions about this concept that every living creature dies alone and just it's very oppressive in that sense. Like he's trying to ponder uh, knowing about time travel or thinking that time travel is real and all that stuff. Um, Whether or not like the, the basic question that a lot of Christians have to ask is like predestination and free will, which one both how Mm -hmm. uh, those basic questions. um, And I think it's explored extremely well in, in this film. Uh, and it, especially in the theatrical cut, I think it, it leaves a lot of room for interpretation and exploration of those ideas without like clear answers. Mm. Caleb, what were your thoughts on Donnie Darko after watching it? I mean, uh, you know, one of the things that I was, I guess, apprehensive about is I, I, I know a lot of people like the Donnie Darko character because he is this sort of like, you know, he's the he's the kind of messed up teen icon, you know, the sort of catcher in the rye for the 21st century. And so, like, part of me is hesitant to always, like, you know, sort of embrace that those characters just because I find that so hacky. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's that sort of like I'm misunderstood. You know, it's the, you know, the Tom York thing. Like, nobody gets me, you know. It's uh it's the Trent Reznor phenomena. Like I, I'm this torture genius that nobody could possibly understand. And it's just like mm-hmm. you're just a white boy from the suburbs. Like everybody gets <laughs> you. Uh but you know, having now seen this after I've had I've lost friends to mental health problems, um, it rang true to me in a way, seeing Donnie's kind of struggle to um to just really make sense of reality. Um, And Mm -hmm. he was, you know, he was asking all these questions about religion, about science, about spirituality, about reality, uh, because he wanted to not be the way that he was, you know, (laughs) he didn't want to be alone. He didn't want to be experiencing these visions. He didn't want to be tormented by these thoughts that he had. And I've had friends now that have, you know, succumb to those battles. And so I appreciated the sense in which this movie um, really weighs heavily on me now because I've seen the effect that those mental health problems can have. Um, and also kind of the, um, uh, the complicated factor in that is that a lot of people I've known with these mental, kind of similar mental health struggles um, really seem to be very insightful uh, and can kind of cut through the fog of reality even when they're not mm. totally tethered to reality themselves. They can kind of see the absurdity of sort of the consumeristic lifestyle. They can see through, you know, I, I mean, I, I can't remember the, the, the woman's name. Brad, you just mentioned her. This, um, she's a teacher at the school. Um, oh, Kitty Farmer. In the yeah, film. Mrs. Beth Farmer. Grant. Yeah, she is, you know. Who was like made for that role, right? I mean, oh, totally. And the, the thing that I also know her from is that she plays Dwight's babysitter and date in the dinner party episode <laughs> of The right. Office. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. And so, yeah, so she has this very like austere look, but like I know that woman. I know that woman that is like so you know graham green is a catholic novelist and she's standing up at a pta meeting saying that he's teaching pornography 
I mean, just deeply misinformed person. And at the same mm. time, she is um, she is embracing these sort of pseudoscientific, faux psychological um, self esteem, you know, mm. manifesto from this guy that is an actual child pornographer. This Jim Cunningham, yeah. paid by played by Patrick Swayze. I know that kind of. I mean, we all do, especially in these last, you know, seven, eight years of, you know, culture mm -hmm. wars and politics. Um, we know these people that are like total shysters and, and, and buy into all the like the the sort of, um, you know, self-help stuff, the the multi-level marketing uh, schemes. You know, we know all these we, we know that type of person that is so um, on the outside looks so squeaky clean. But as Jesus might say, it's like it's just a you know corrupt tomb on the inside, an unwashed cup on the inside. Um, and so, I mean, Donnie represents like the 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 character that sees through the fantasy world of the clean suburban where everybody is nice and polite, and there's really a corrupt, seedy underbelly to all that. I mean, I deeply appreciate. Um, that about this movie and about this character um, who is also flawed and imperfect himself. I, I just thought the whole thing was really nuanced. Um, and because of his mental illness and, you know, him being maybe an unreliable narrator, you don't know if everything he's seeing is a part of his psychosis or if he's actually seeing reality for what it is. Again, I think the director's cut wants you to believe that he's actually seeing something um, that other people aren't seeing because of this sort of weird, you know, uh, this weird time travel paradox, whatever. Uh, I think that ruins the mystique and the mystery a little bit. Um, hmm. But I think another aspect of Donnie's character is that he, in some weird way, is this sort of convoluted uh, messianic figure. <laughs> Um, he, again, he confronts the hypocrisy of his, of his society, of his day and age. Um, he, he calls this guy that is this, uh, salesman of this, you know, sort of BS self-help program. He says, I think you're the bleeping antichrist. And it turns out he's right about that guy. Um, and then the, I mean, at the end of the movie, however you take it, Donnie, seems to uh, realize that he has to sacrifice himself or do something to like undo all this horrible stuff that's happened to people. Um, mm -hmm. And so I don't know. It's, he's a, he's a fascinating character. I think there's a lot of layers to this movie that are really complex. And again, as a Christian, I think there is that sort of redemptive arc, that sort of surprising Christ figure that is is really kind of powerful and compelling. Yeah, uh, to to bring it back to the destructors and Graham Greene, uh, I just love the detail that not only is he like a Catholic writer, but I mean most horror films are like we're gonna put a, a an English class scene in there, and they're gonna be talking about the thing that's gonna unlock the entire film. <laughs> um, and so I just love that short story. It's 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 such a a, a unique short story and. I I guess I can get if you don't know about Graham Greene not going, oh, he must be Catholic from reading yeah. it. But I, I love that detail that this is yet another Catholic writer um, in the tradition of like gothic storytelling, engaging with horror. Um, 
and and I think doing such a great job at it. Well, this is one of those films that I almost, and maybe this says something about me, I almost just wanted to take notes with questions because in every scene, almost every scene, there's so much going on, and I'm like, ah, I'm just not getting it. I'm not picking up on everything right now, but I know there's something here. I know the director's doing (laughs) something with this. Like, this is not random. I'm going to jump in right here, Brad, and just interrupt quickly. A good movie is like a good book where it can be revisited multiple times and it can open up a whole new world to you. I remember years ago, first things, which whatever you think about them now, I put out some interesting theological commentary in the past. And there was this article they put out. They said, um, uh, rewatching arrested development, which is a show that's so funny, but it's got so many layers of jokes and stories and gags that the more you watch it, the more you see is like reading the Bible. (laughs) <laughs> the the deeper you go into it, the further you go into your meditation of it, the richer it becomes. And so it's almost overwhelming. Well, watching a movie mm-hmm. like this is drinking from a fire hose. And so, yeah. you know, when people see movies like this, I mean, this is not in our cultural DNA right now to stop and think and meditate on stuff or to go back and revisit it. Uh, but the best movies are movies that can be revisited a lot of times and always reveal new facets to them. So yeah, I, I think that's a mark of a good movie is that you think about it afterwards and you can revisit it and get more out of it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I, I think that that short story is just such a, a, a great way to like look at the, I mean, there's multiple elements right at the top of the film that are kind of like hinting at some of the thematic stuff, but also I think help to unlock a better understanding of how the film uh, unfolds mm-hmm. um, just so many different elements like uh, the fact that in that the short story effectively tells you the rest of the plot of the film yeah um, because you get the the flooding incident that's in that thing uh, you get the fact that the this gang like burns this house to the ground um, just to see what happens and they even burn uh, the money they, they didn't steal anything they just burned all the money because they thought it would be fun uh, and I think the quote was, uh, they just want to see what happens when they tear the world apart. Mm. Um, and just this idea of like creation uh, or destruction being a form of creation, uh, which as the story goes along, you start to see with like the water main breaking, uh, so many different uh, interactions happen that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Uh, and then when he burns down um, the the speaker's house, uh, you find, you know, all the despicable things uh, yep. that he's been hiding and the happy, pretty people uh, start to see like the seedy underbelly of, of this, this little town mm-hmm. that they thought was just like a, a beautiful little part of middle, middle America. It's mm-hmm. perfectly fine. Well, let me ask you guys this <clears throat> just for fun. So if Donnie Darko, if we're kind of thinking of him as this complicated messianic figure of the film that, sacrifices himself at the end uh what do we make of the character frank and when i say frank i'm talking about the kind of rabbit apparition that appears to him uh throughout the film what do we make of frank is frank um is he supposed to be god is he uh because he is kind of showing donnie a lot of things he's revealing a lot about what's going on revealing to him the future revealing to him 
basically what this plan should be that he should actually go sacrifice himself yeah. uh, at the end of the film. Uh, what what do we make of that? Let's just talk. Let's have a fun conversation. We don't have to be right or wrong. It's just conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, in this, I watched a quick YouTube video, but this would be where there would be um, a stark difference between the director's cut and the theatrical version because the director's cut would essentially take you down the time travel explanation mm-hmm. and because more of the book that, uh, is shown throughout the film. Uh, what was it? The Philo- philosophy of time travel. Philosophy of time travel. Yeah, they go into that more, which kind of shows that Frank's character is almost this guide to make sure that Donnie completes his task. Yeah. Is, am I getting that right? Um, so that would be the sort of time travel yeah. explanation. There's also the psychological explanation, which is that Donnie is schizophrenic. <laughs> right. And so all of this is happening in his mind and then you're constantly asking what what is in his mind and what's real yeah right, right. throughout throughout the entire film um, and I think that piece for me is horrifying because it just makes me think about self-deception and how uh, whether it's on a large scale something like schizophrenia or whether it's a type of self-deception that we all experience how we can construct our own, vision of reality and it be missing what's actually happening. And I think you see that with Donnie in the film. You also see that with um, following the corrupt leaders and the corrupt leaders throughout the film, how these seem like uh, people that you would want to follow. They seem like people that have good ideas. And yet there's this corrupt underbelly, what Cale Mm -hmm. was talking about earlier. But that's one of the things as I was thinking throughout the film that was so horrifying was just self-deception and the damage that it can cause. So, yeah, what are y'all's thoughts on Frank? <laughs> uh, I, I'm always of the opinion that, you know, when you don't have clarity, it's probably a bit of both. Yep. I, I don't think it's easily in one category or the other because I mm-hmm. think throwing out all the sci-fi stuff as just Donnie's delusion mm-hmm. is maybe a bit much as throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but I don't think all of what Donnie sees is necessarily real. Yeah. Um, because I think also that defeats the purpose of the ending, which is like him sacrificing himself um, to yeah. save all these people that otherwise would would die. Um, totally. Well, because if you try to boil it down from a psychological, just like this is just what's going on psychologically, like right. part so much of the movie doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so. Um. So yeah, I think I think you got it right. It's like it's more of like a, a guide. Rather than necessarily, I don't think Frank is is a weird uh, horror version of God. <laughs> I, I think if anything, he's closer to like um, uh, an angel or just uh, even in a different tradition, more of like a guide down the river sticks of like here's here's uh, I have such sights to show you. Yeah, um, things like that. I, I don't I don't think it's a clear one camp or the other. I think it's it's more of yeah, he's a guide, but how much of this is real? Do is there any background to this bunny? I mean, as bunnies go, it's absolutely horrifying. No, I think uh, <laughs> I mean even Richard Kelly isn't quite sure where the bunny okay. came from. He always wanted Frank to be a bunny, uh, but at an early draft of um, the screenplay, there was also mention of the book Watership Down. Okay, and so he's not sure if those happened simultaneously or if it was like 
he dreamed about this bunny man yeah. uh, giving him o- ominous, like, the world's going to end. And so he's like, I'll put that in my movie, or if it was kind of concurrent. Okay, I got you, yeah. Caleb? Yeah, you know, um, I mean, I'm a big believer that uh, the the physical material realm that we inhabit runs parallel and overlaps and and syncs up with the, this unseeable supernatural spiritual realm, which is absolutely real. I mean, it's just a metaphysical reality, one beyond our senses. And so there's a sense in which I appreciate the fact that what's happening to Donnie is both something contained materially in his own world, that he is a young man with um, sort of mental problems like uh brain chemistry misfiring that needs to be taken care of by medicine so maybe he it'd be through psychosis he's seeing things that aren't actually happening but at the same time by the same token there may be some sort of um supernatural in the sense of this is again if you take in the director's cut which is maybe this is an alternate timeline that is just intersecting with theirs in a weird way and he's the only one that can really see that. Um, but to take that as sort of a stand-in for a spiritual reality. And like Patrick is saying, like this um, Frank acting as sort of a guide or an angel. Or, you know, if you want to get it, sort of compare it to classical literature. This is, the, uh, um, this is Dante's Inferno. And uh, this is uh, Virgil, the poet, sort of guiding... Um, Frank is, is, is Virgil guiding Donnie or Dante, uh, through this, you know, circles of hell and on inward to paradise. I mean, I don't know if, you know, he's consciously doing that. Richard Kelly is the writer director again with a Catholic background. I mean, that is, you know, (laughs) that is, uh, that's Pilgrim's progress for Catholics. I guess you could say that's Mm. really reductive, but (laughs) Uh, it just sort of sits in the back of the Catholic imagination. Um, and again, as a person that believes that that the material and the psychological and the spiritual, all these things link up, I think there could be a sense in which what Donnie's experiencing is totally within his own mind and also deeply spiritual at the same time. He's both hallucinating Frank, but Frank is some sort of spiritual entity that is communicating with him. And the the blur between those realities are just something that we can't really parse out because we can only parse out what we can experience or um, empirically prove. And we, we can't do that with this other sense of uh, reality or metaphysics. So um, yeah, I I think, um, I mean, this is a cop-out answer, but I think Frank is a part of his a figment of his own sort of broken imagination and also this like entity from a different reality that's actually interacting with him. I think both of those things are true at the same time. Yeah, a hundred percent. There's a wild Reddit thread that I found when I was doing <laughs> research for this and it's like fan theories of Donnie Darko and, this Reddit poster goes into this whole explanation as to why Donnie Darko is this Christ figure and that Frank is God and that um, Dr. or that uh, Roberto Sparrow is supposed to represent uh, Mary. And there's like all of the, it goes very in depth. It takes like the uh, the numbers that are that are mentioned 
first to Donnie when the when uh, Frank tells him when the world is going to end. Twenty eight days, like he goes through that whole thing. So this Reddit thread person like took all the numbers, <laughs> equals up to eighty eight. You know, it's it's a wild uh, thread. Everyone should go read it. I will say there is an interesting quote. Uh, in the letter, I'm trying to find it here, in the letter that I believe Donnie Darko writes to uh, R. Sparrow, and it says, once I can pull it up, I just had it. Oh, sometimes, uh, sometimes I'm afraid of what you might tell me. Sometimes I'm afraid that you'll tell me that this is not a work of fiction. I can only hope that the answers will come to me in my sleep. I hope that when the world comes to an end, I can breathe a sigh of relief because there will be so much to look forward to. Um, and so I, I wonder sometimes, like, you know, maybe take some of the supernatural elements out of it. Let's just look at it, uh, I guess, from Donnie Darko's perspective and the mental struggles that he's going through. You know, maybe this is a movie about someone struggling with if God is real or not. And he's trying to figure out what all this means in his life. And I feel like when he writes that letter in, in particular, I hope that the, when the world comes to an end, I can breathe a sigh of relief because there will be so much to look forward to. Is this hope of redemption and this hope of new heavens, new earth, that everything will be redeemed and restored? And so I know that it's not like, super clear in the film but i i do think there's something there to his character and with some of the other subtle things that are going on where he calls the guy the antichrist yeah. and all of those things there's definitely something going on where he's on this journey of faith to some degree mm -hmm. um and maybe that's not exactly parsed out in a very literal or obvious way but there there could be some things going on there. Patrick, do you, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, yeah. I mean, the conversations that he continually is having with the, the science uh, teacher about, like, faith and science yes. and, like, the how they meet, how they kind of argue with one another, um, I think is, is exactly what you're talking about. Is Donnie on that journey of trying to fit, parse out, like, is this God's plan? Uh, yeah. If everything's predestined and I have no choice in the matter, mm -hmm. the, is why does the narrative of like God even matter? Uh, things like that that I think are very relevant questions that are very uh, important to parse out. But I do think at the end, uh, Donnie does have some semblance of free will and is choosing. And I think, uh, especially when he's laughing, as yeah. you know, I, I think that is him having his quote unquote sigh of relief. Uh, that there is so much to look forward to, even yeah. despite the fact that he is, you know, sacrificing himself for everybody else. Yeah. Apparently the director did say in an interview that he looks at the events in the film as a story of divine and supernatural intervention, where a select group of characters happen to be living in the proximity of this science fiction event. Yeah. So... Look at us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if anyone else has anything else to add. I will say when it when we talk about the director, I was looking at his filmography. I know he made this movie called Southland Tales. I have never seen that film. That's another cult film. Uh, you either love it or you hate it. It's very weird. It's weirder than this, if that says anything. <laughs> <laughs> but he hadn't really, and, and maybe this was just, 
all based on the fact that the movie wasn't quite a success, but he really hasn't done much since that. That seemed to be his biggest film. Yeah. Uh, and it and it garnered cult status, but he made Southland Tales. Look, there was there was another film maybe called The Box or something like yes, that. Yes, yep, that one. Have you seen that? I haven't seen that one. Uh, that was before I was going to see horror films at the theaters. Yeah, so I wonder what he's doing right now. Uh, allegedly, he is developing a sequel to this film. Okay, well, so there was a so there was a spinoff don't called no nope, called don't, don't. S Darko. <laughs> Have you seen that? It's so bad. <laughs> Don't don't watch it. You because the problem is is it's so bad that no one wants to put it on their streaming service. Like Netflix won't even put it on there and not advertise it. it it's it's oh, that no. bad. No one wants to talk about it. Um, it. Richard Kelly was not involved whatsoever. Um, yeah, it's just it's such a bad movie, and you have to pay to watch it. So just don't don't do it. <laughs> I wasn't planning on it. It had horrible letterbox. Caleb, reviews. have you seen it? No. Um, Man, it's like uh, I think of Scott Derrickson's Sinister, um, which I thought was a great movie, great, unique, interesting horror movie. And then Sinister 2, which he, I don't think he was involved in. He definitely didn't direct it. And it is such like a dive off a cliff that it's just like (laughs) offensive that that movie exists. So I I imagine uh, S. Darko is probably similar to that decline. Yep. Donnie Darko, any other thoughts? Closing thoughts, Patrick. We'll start with I, you. Yeah. I absolutely adore that scene, um, uh, the fear and love scene where she's trying to, Kitty Farmer is trying to do the exercise. Yes. Uh, just like, I wouldn't have been as bold as Donnie, but at that, <laughs> that juncture in my life, I definitely would have been pushing back just because, like, I, I hate just very dichotomous thinking. I love, I love the, the gray area stuff as well. Um, and I I think it's such a, it's that character deserves someone to tell them how it is or just like to tell them off because like you said, she's a complete hypocrite. She is this, uh, embodiment of evangelical Christianity, fundamentalism, um, but she's a total hypocrite by buying into like these self-help gurus who are um, actual child pornographers. Mm-hmm. And so like they're, they're awful people. Um, and just the way that she like uh, carries herself about like holier than thou and constantly talking down to other people, uh, like the way that she talks to Donnie's mother um, after this incident is just so uh, upsetting. I always have a physical reaction. Yeah. When I, it's, it's, it's similar She's not as bad as uh, Miss Comedy from uh, The Mist, both the Stephen King book and then the adaptation that Frank Darabout did um, around like 2007. Uh, I, I, I love to hate these kinds of characters um, because it's like it's a depiction of the worst parts, the worst tendencies of Christian communities, but it's like a, a, a great like warning sign, a red flag. It's like, cool, don't do that. Pivot this direction. Um, but they're always performed by like great actors. So like Marsha Gay Harden in um, in The Mist, and then obviously uh, Beth Grant here. They're they're always played so perfectly. Um, mm. It's m- a lot like uh, the Dolores Umbridge of the Harry Potter films, where you just hate their guts. Yeah, and they're they're just such a, a perfect. Uh, they're so emblematic of hypocrisy yes. uh, and that they're, they're better than everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I just, uh, I, I particularly love Kitty Farmer 
in this film, <laughs> that that character. Caleb, any closing thoughts? Um, just to tack on to what Patrick was saying, um, another representative of that kind of hypocrisy that is so strong it makes your skin crawl. You have a physical reaction to it. I don't know if you guys have seen Mike Flanagan's Midnight Mass, that Netflix yes. series that came out a couple yes. years ago. But I still have never seen it. I, Brad, I, I've so many people have talked about it. Additional homework, Brad. I, I try You're to bully Brad. I think not only every October, <laughs> but every Holy Week around and during Lent, because it's. I mean, that's kind of when the story takes place. To try to watch this show is my favorite miniseries. Uh, limited series, whatever you call it, that has yeah. ever been released. Anyways, uh, Samantha Sloyan. I think it's like going to the. It's like going to the gym for me. <laughs> it's like I know it's going to be good, but I just don't want to do to- it totally, on the front end. Totally. It's a. It's a little bit scary. So many insecurities. But like, uh, I spent much more of that uh, show crying than I did like <laughs> screaming. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know if that's any better. But no, I. I'll thank you for y'all's persistence. I'm gonna watch it. <laughs> I interrupted Caleb. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, um, that is, uh, I, I just wanted to bring that character up and also talk about that show, which is one of my favorites of all time. And I think it's, uh, that is that is a series that is so ripe to like look at horror and faith um, in proximity to one another. Um, anyways, that's me plugging Mike Flanagan, who's probably one of the most successful horror directors and doesn't need my help at all, but... Uh, Yep. <laughs> also grew up Catholic, so that's a, a lot of the oh, wow. DNA in all of his yeah. films. Interesting. Yeah, it's kind of been blowing my mind like as I've gotten into the horror genre and even through listening to the Christianity Today podcast, how many folks, how many screenwriters, how many directors have some sort of Christian faith or came from some sort of Christian background you know, I think the most recent screenwriter for the, I guess, uh, the most recent Exorcist movie, I think he's a Christian. I don't, he may be Catholic. I'm not I'm not sure what his faith background is, but I think they interview him on yeah. one of the most recent episodes of that podcast. Um, it's kind of it's kind of wild mm. that there's so much overlap <laughs> there. Um, really says something about these films and their ability to uh, show good and evil in a very um, sometimes shocking ways, horrifying ways. Um, but like Caleb was saying earlier, like also, you know, the more you watch, uh, it's like being reminded of who God is. You think yeah. more about God. <laughs> yeah, I, I yes. in preparation for this podcast, like I think that's exactly sums up why I love horror films. It's like most other genres of filmmaking literature, what, whatever, uh, they they love playing in in gray areas, which is great. I love those stories. I mean, Killers of the Flower Moon, which we just saw in the theaters, a lot of gray area in those yeah. films, uh, in that film specifically. Um, but in horror, so specifically, oftentimes you have a very uh, dichotomous relationship. You have good people on this side who can be extremely messy, like Donnie Darko, mm-hmm. uh, and then straight up evil on the other side and and you you see like uh, a fight and oftentimes in horror films good triumphs and i think that's such a a comforting narrative to have and so that that's mostly why i love horror films is that you get to see good and evil battle it out and more often than not good triumphs Mm. 
Yes, and just to echo what y'all were saying, I think with this film, things that <clears throat> scare us, mental illness, and the effects that that can have on an individual's life and on the the life of others. I found myself feeling sorry for Donnie's family <laughs> throughout the film and just thinking their experience and there as, as parents now having a little, a little girl and just how much they're trying to help, right? The mom, maybe a little more so than the dad. <laughs> Dad's a little checked out. Um, <laughs> but certainly the mom, right? But I mean, that's a fear, right? Um, also, uh, what, what's another fear that comes up in the film? Oh, the fear of corrupt leadership. And can we trust our leaders? Are they secretly um, out for their own ends and doing evil um, and harming other people, right? How, how do we... How do we reckon with that, right? That's that's a real fear. Yeah, reminder, this is 2001, so this is before, like, the Boston Globe does their whole report on, like, the Catholic abuse scandal. Mm. Um, so, like, the fact that, you know, Richard Kelly is already touching on these kinds of topics. Right. In, in material, once again, it, like, I think it's more accessible and it, it slips in the back door maybe uh, because it, you're watching a sci-fi time travel horror film. Yes. You're not, that part is like, that That also gets in there with you as well. Mm. But because there's, it's a spoonful of sugar to help the medicine to go down. Yeah, no, that's good. I think another one that comes to mind is just this question of purpose. And yeah. why am I here? And I think that question for so many people is such a horrifying question. What am I here for? What is my purpose? Does anything that I do matter? I think that's such a big question for our culture today. And if you, you know, kind of remove any sort of divine or supernatural or Christian understanding, then it can get kind of dark yeah. and it can get scary and there can be a lot of uncertainty. And so, yeah, just to echo what you've already said is that the movie pushes me back to Christ and what Caleb so beautifully articulated earlier, and that is that Jesus is greater than any human fear we can come up with. He's stronger. He's more powerful. He can be trusted, and there's nothing here on this earth that is more powerful than he is, and therefore there's nothing on this earth that we need fear more than him. And actually drives us to a place where we say that the um, right thing is to fear the Lord. And that's the fear that displaces all other, other fears. And so I'll say I would have never gotten any of that if I wouldn't have gotten together and, and talked with you guys. So yep. that's why I'm thankful for weird people like Caleb and <laughs> for very uh, intelligent people like Patrick. To I think you should bottle me in with the weird. <laughs> I don't think that's fair to Caleb. <laughs> Um, to en to engage in th these kind of things with um, and to discuss because I always en end up being uh, benefited by the end of it. A hundred percent. Well, if you want to watch Donnie Darko, you can watch it in all the normal ways. It is actually on the Criterion channel, which I subscribe to and love so much. You can catch it on streaming there, but you can rent it, buy it, digital copies, physical copies, whatever. Get the theatrical cut. I, I wouldn't recommend the director's cut, although I've never seen it. But just off of what Patrick's told me, I think the theatrical cut is the way to go. Uh, I just want to thank each of our guests today. Patrick, thank you so much for coming in and <laughs> hanging out with us. Caleb, thank you for joining us. Uh, this was just really, really awesome. I'm glad we got to do this. And hopefully uh, Brad and I don't get fired after this. Let's we'll see what happens. <laughs>
That's right. You can blame it on me. <laughs> they can't fire me. That's true. All right. Well, if you have any thoughts about horror movies, if you have any thoughts about Donnie Darko, maybe you want to talk about Jake Gyllenhaal and how he just constantly takes on these incredible, interesting roles uh, throughout his he? whole career. How old was he in this film? Do we know? I, d- I, I mean, we could look it up. I don't know how old he was. Let's see. Our our uh, research statisticians staff. and researchers are at hard at work yep. right now. The team of them crunching numbers. I think he was twenty one. Wow. Okay. Wow. Really? He was born in nineteen eighty. So, and this came out two thousand one. Wow. So, if they filmed it, maybe the year yeah. before, he's twenty twenty one. Yeah. So young. He's been in so many great films. Such a great Pretty actor. cool to see him and Maggie in a movie together. Yeah, too. they actually have a great. I mean, it's not like they have to try too hard, but right. the sibling dynamic is amazing. It felt very real yeah. to me. <laughs> their their conversations. It was really yes. Awesome. And this is another one of those dumb things that I'm gonna admit. I was looking at IMDb afterwards, and I was like, oh, they're siblings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, dang it, am I gonna say this on the podcast? And, and then, then you I did. was like, I am. <laughs> Well, awesome. I hope you enjoyed it. But yeah, like I was saying, if you have any thoughts, you can email us at midweek at shadesvalley.org because here at Shades Midweek, Brad, you're part of the conversation. And so we want to hear your thoughts, your emotions, even your fears. Yeah. And I do highly recommend the uh, Be Afraid podcast, Christianity Today. That's right. yep. I listened to a bunch of it several times. I listened to a bunch of it in prep for this. And it was very awesome. interesting. Check out Happily Scared with Caleb. Yep. Check out uh, Patrick's Film Club. That's right. By YouTube. Awesome. All right. Good stuff. Well, thank you for joining us. We will uh, see you next time. Hey, have a great Halloween next week. Everybody.